Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the Woodward Financial Advisors podcast. Ben Birkin, Victor Colella. This is our second in what will be a four-part series about what folks might do portfolio or financial planning-wise in a down market. We did our, our most recent episode as the first part of this series about rebalancing. And this time, we're going to talk about tax loss harvesting. But before we get into that, Victor, how are you doing? What's new in your world? Ben, I am pumped up today because tax loss harvesting is just too much fun, in my opinion. Slow down. We don't want people to have too much fun. We got to <laughs> put the put the brakes on just a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, seriousness, I, I am doing well. Uh, you know, really, it's nice as we keep recording these what to do when the market's down, the market gets less and less down. So we'll see. As of the recording today, I think we're only, I think, it's very similar value of the S&P 500 to where we were only one year ago, which, is, which marks a substantial recovery. So pretty I mean, it, wild. Is, it, it is amazing what the markets can do, but it's also possible that it is our recording of this series about what to do when the market is down that is driving the market up, which just means we got to come up with some more ideas to keep this rally going. <laughs> I think we clearly can extend a four-part. Clearly, it's all our responsibility, right, Wait. Yeah, it's a heavy burden, but I think we can shoulder it. So before we get into the actual details of tax loss harvesting, again, same disclaimer as before, we might be talking about securities that folks who work with Woodward Financial Advisors might own. By no stretch of the imagination is anything that we talk about suggested to be a recommendation or advice to purchase those securities or necessarily to do anything that we talk about. Uh, The idea behind the podcast and everything that we are going to talk about is educational and informational in its format. If you have specific questions about your particular situation, you should speak to your financial advisor or tax professional. Uh, with that out of the way, Victor, so let's talk ta- tax loss harvesting. Yeah, let's go there. Uh, so I think tax loss harvesting, I for, for those of us who are in this industry and do it all the time, I, I think there is a general recognition of what it is and how it works, but I think we should back up a little bit because there are some tax rules that I think everyone could benefit from knowing right up front, just in terms of definitions and what is tax loss harvesting. So uh, maybe we start there. Sure. And in fact, let's go even way back before we even start talking about losses and just start with the good stuff, right? Most folks, I think, are familiar with the idea of if you own an investment in what I'll call a taxable account, so not inside of an IRA or a Roth IRA, things where you have to pay taxes on the underlying investments each and every year. If you sell something for more than you paid for it and you've got a gain on a sale, you have to pay taxes on that gain. For most folks, if it's something that you've held for at least a year, the tax rate on the gain is 15%. That could be different depending on your income, but that's the figure that most folks have in their heads. If it's something that you sell at a gain and you've held it for less than a year, it's taxed just like ordinary income, same rates that your salary might be taxed at. So ideally, you want to hold things for at least a year because you get preferential tax treatment. But I think big picture, you sell something for more than you paid for it, you've got a gain, you've got to pay taxes on that gain. But periodically, you might sell something for less than you paid for it and you've got a loss, right? And that's kind of where the tax loss harvesting concept comes in. Yep, exactly. And and. Just big picture, this doesn't, if you're a long-term investor, if you're buying and holding for long periods of time, 
these periods where you have losses, especially over the last 10 or so years, right, Ben, it's been a pretty steady march upwards. So the opportunities to harvest losses, I'm doing air uh, air quotes, are rare uh, because the, the downward market trends are temporary um, and usually overall, over, over time, you're, you're going upwards, which is why we're all investing in the first place. Uh, so, sure. yeah. But you do have these pockets, right? So last uh, episode, we talked about the period at the end of 2018, October, November, December, um, where, yes, you're right. If you put in a lump sum 10 years ago, you've basically got nothing but gains. But if you've been making periodic or episodic contributions, hypothetically, you put money in in September of 2018. And if you put it into the S&P 500 index, it was worth less by maybe about 20% by the end of 2018. So yeah, long-term trend is up, but punctuated with periods where things don't always go up. Yeah. So so in general, with that background, our, our working definition is when there's a temporary or I'll call it a paper loss in an investment. So let's say it's the S&P 500 to pull from an example we used in the last episode. It, it means that when that investment is down, when the S&P 500 ETF, for example, is down, you sell that investment when it's lost value relative to where you purchased it, replacing it with a reasonably similar investment, and then using the investment sold at a loss to offset any realized gains, which is what Ben was talking about. And, and Ben, you like to call this the sponge of losses. So I'll, I'll let you explain the sponge because you're better at it. Absolutely. So the sponge concept comes into account when you think about you can use losses that you've realized to offset other gains. So if I took $10,000 of gains and I sell things at a loss and I realize $10,000 of losses, my losses offset the gains. And when it comes time to do my taxes, it looks like nothing happened, right? I've got 10 in gain, 10,000 in gains, 10,000 in losses. The sponge eats up the gains. Now, you might have a circumstance, though, where at the end of the year, your losses exceed your gains. So your sponge has soaked up all of the gains, but there's still some left over. One of the neat things about realized losses is that you can use, in most cases, up to $3,000 of those losses to offset other income of any type, right? Could be salary, could be social security, doesn't matter. It just shows up on the front page of your tax return as a negative number in the line for realized gains or losses. And here's the kicker, or you want, do you want the kicker? Take the kicker. <laughs> I was just going to say that that's often a really nice benefit, especially for those who are, I'm not sure if this is the kicker or not, <laughs> but uh, for those people it's, who it's are- It's a kicker. It's a kicker. We'll say that. But for those who are working, let's say in the, the, the better earning years of their career, uh, so your capital gains rate, what you pay on, on net gains from sale of investments is 15%. Often your marginal tax rate, at least for a lot of the folks that we work with, tends to be above that. So you're for $3,000, you're getting an outsized uh, tax benefit potentially relative to what you would be getting uh, if you have excess losses, right? That's right. So you've got your gains at a preferential rate, but your losses are decreasing your income at a different higher rate. Right. So here's the kicker. Let's say you've gone through that sponge process. We've offset some gains. We took $3,000 of losses on the front page of our tax return, but we still have losses left over. Are they gone forever? No, they are not. They carry forward to the next year. 
That's right, where the, the whole kicker. process repeats. That's the kicker. And you get to use those losses as long as you have them, right? So you could take, you could have these losses banked up for many, many years. And that might be one reason why, while there might be some offsetting reasons why you don't do it, one of the nice reasons for doing a tax loss harvesting, and here's the pro, here's the point of the harvesting, right? We're taking them now when we don't have to, right? That's what a harvest component is. We are harvesting losses intentionally. Why might you do that? Well, to refer back to the rebalancing episode, most of the time markets go up. And if you've got a taxable account, that means you've got to think about the tax consequences for selling stocks that have increased in value. But if you've banked up losses during these periodic periods of downward market volatility, how's that for jargon? Yeah. Um, (laughs) You've basically created opportunities to rebalance for quote unquote free in future years, because you've got losses to offset the gains that are down the road, yeah. right? That's one of the huge benefits of doing this to me over the long term. Yeah. And and sometimes that could be beneficial as well. Um, and I, I reference this in, in our first part of this mini series where often we'll have clients who come to us with investments that they've held for a very long time that they don't really want to hold anymore. So they want to change to a different investment that either we've recommended or or they don't like this company that they hold anymore, but they're unable to because there's so many gains. So maybe they bought it 15 years ago when it was worth nothing relative to what it's worth today, but they're unable to shift to a different investment. Well, if, you, if you're able to bank those losses, so you, you do this tax loss harvesting when the market's down 35%, like it was at the end of March, maybe you have enough losses where... The math works now where you can shift from one investment to maybe a more preferential one where that opportunity just wouldn't make sense because of the tax consequences unless you had some sponge losses that you could use to offset the gains that would inevitably happen when you're shifting from those older legacy investments. So that can be one real benefit that at least with some of our clients, We've been able to chip away at some of those positions where we haven't been able to do that for some time. Uh, Absolutely. So that's a great example. So you could think of that as being just if you don't want individual stocks anymore. Well, here's an opportunity to get rid of some individual stocks and move into something more broadly diversified. If you've got an overly concentrated position and you don't want that anymore, um, here's, again, an opportunity to reduce your holdings at that without a cost. Or if you've got a mutual fund that might be diversified but has high underlying costs and you want to move towards something that's a little bit more cost effective, again, here's your opportunity to get out of that without the tax burdens that you might have otherwise had to deal with. So those are all the good reasons why you might do it. This isn't a slam dunk necessarily for everybody, though. You know, We think about it that way, but there might be reasons some folks have for not doing it. Yeah, and and I'll I'll start with a couple, uh, just sort of quicker ones, and I think there's one big, uh, big one that we want to talk about that has to do with what's called a wash sale. But oftentimes, it, the administrative burden is sometimes pointed to if you know because this is really it's selling in your account. It used to be that there was a cost. I, it's not like the cost of trading has gone away entirely. But a lot of companies have taken trading costs nearly to zero, which is good for everyone. Yeah, or in some cases, all the way to zero, right? Yeah, in in a lot of instances, uh, especially for things like ETFs. But um, 
so that that one is less than it once was, but there's still a cost in theory. Uh, sometimes uh, from a tax preparation, it makes things a little more complicated. But I, I I tend to not buy that. Why not as much personally? It's small. It's there, but it's probably not the the needle mover. If it makes sense to do, I think you it's going to make sense financially to do it. Um, yeah. But is uh, it necessarily beneficial to everybody? Not if you're in a really degree. low tax bracket. I, I that's the second one. I think Ben is if your capital gains. So Ben mentioned fifteen percent is the capital gains rate that a lot of folks most most people experience. But if you're in the lo- two lowest tax brackets, roughly, your capital gains rate is actually zero percent. So in that case, may, maybe we're thinking the opposite way about this. Maybe it makes sense to harvest gains because you actually have a zero percent tax bracket in those um, in, in on gains from investments sold. So if your tax rates are super low, it's just the juice may not be worth the squeeze for you when it comes to tax loss harvesting. Maybe focus on our rebalancing or focus on those Roth conversions, which is our next episode. But uh, yeah, and tax I think loss too, harvesting you know, is not going to be it. Yeah. So, you know, it's not as powerful, I guess, as one. You can still do it. It's just it's maybe not as beneficial when it comes to doing your taxes, especially when you think about if you're in the, say, the 10 or the 12 percent marginal bracket, meaning that's the tax rate that the last dollar of ordinary income is taxed at. A $3,000 loss sounds really good, but it really has the impact of only reducing your taxes by 300 or $360. So it's just not as powerful. Still there maybe not as meaningful to you. Yeah. And if you have a tax preparer or someone who does your taxes, maybe look at what you're, ask them, what's my uh, capital gain, my effective capital gains rate. And then they'll tell you uh, if they say zero, then yeah, take pause. And then the third one, before we get to the, the, the wash sale is this is, and with all of these tax related strategies, it's predicated on the fact that in the future, tax rates and rules are similar or the same as what they are today, which is a pretty substantial assumption after a th- three years that have seen, depending on how you count the most recent CARES Act, two or three substantial, um, in some ways, tax reform laws. So things are changing. It's a moving target. Um, so that that's one that's probably worth mentioning as well. Yeah. You know, so that's always going to be there for any of these tax strategies, but it's important to note this, right? Yeah, we're banking on the fact that the rules today are going to be close to, if not similar or identical to the rules five, 10 years from now when we hope to reap more of the benefits of the things we're doing today. So absolutely. Um, But I think the last one is probably the more complicated one, especially for folks who are handling their own investments. And that has to do with something you called, you already referred to the, the wash sale rule. So briefly. 20 seconds. What in the world does that mean? So so basically, Uncle Sam says that you're not allowed to sell this investment at a loss and buy it right back up, effectively resetting what, you know, your, your baseline for that investment, because it's obvious that you're doing it just to harvest the loss, which has been deemed uh, not okay in, in terms of the tax rules. So what the rule says is that you can't buy, I don't know what the exact wording of the law is, but it has to be different enough so that um, 
it's substantially different or something something like that. So you can't buy the same investment. So you're call we call these proc tax loss proxies. Right. So, so if I is- if I buy a stock of four, if I buy a hundred shares of Ford and I sell them at a loss on Monday, I can't then buy a hundred shares of Ford on Tuesday. IRS says you can do it. You just then can't use the losses for taxes. Yep. Right. And that works 30 days before the day that you're harvesting the losses, the day that you're actually doing the harvesting, and 30 days after. So you can't buy Ford 20 days earlier, then t- harvest the loss because they're saying you knew you were going to do that. And uh, so, so it basically creates like the 60 day window around the purchase. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And and really, what that might mean is that in order to harvest the loss. You you're holding an investment that wasn't your first choice, right? Because you could you have the choice of staying out of the market, but you probably don't want to do that. So you buy something else, and the strategy says, and we'll just keep picking on Ford. Uh, I sold Ford, but I still want to be exposed to automobiles for whatever reason. Uh, so <laughs> I buy GM, right? It's not the same, totally different company, but it's still governed or going to be impacted by the same broad factors, or at least that might be my idea. Yeah. Uh, And and that obviously could go south potentially, right? So if you really wanted to own Ford and then you bought GM and then GM got, got into some regulatory trouble and got beat up, then you may have been better off not doing the harvest at all. Um, It also could go the other way, right? Maybe GM takes off and you're stuck holding GM because you don't want to then sell and realize the gains and immediately negate the losses that you just took for tax planning purposes. Or your gains might be so high that you sell and now you're f- stuck with short-term gains, which we talked about 10 minutes ago, yep. are taxed less favorably than long-term gains. So this isn't necessarily always a, hey, I'm at a loss, I'm going to do it. It's There's some thinking that needs to go into it. Yeah. So your your individual situation is going to vary. So that disclaimer actually really holds true on this episode where Everyone's situation is different, but in a broad sense, tax loss harvesting can be a really powerful tool to take advantage of these short-term market declines, temporary market declines, uh, that will help you down the road uh, to sort of enhance your after-tax returns in your investments. So I I guess that's the punchline is that it can be great. There are some catches and some intricacies around it, but uh, we certainly do it when the market's down, and it could make sense for you all as well. So worth talking about. That's right. So that's going to end the the second episode in this quick hitter series. We talked about rebalancing. We talked about tax loss harvesting. And the next one of the series, we'll talk about Roth IRA conversion. So a little bit more on the planning side, maybe a little bit less on the specific investment side. But for now, uh, Victor, thank you for joining me. For everybody who's listening, thank you for joining us. You can follow us. I forgot to mention this on the previous episode, but you can follow us and subscribe anywhere where you're getting your fine podcast. You can also check out our firm's website, woodwardadvisors.com. You can learn more about Victor. You can learn more about me. Um, But outside of that, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to everybody next time. Yep. Thanks for listening.